Welcome back to the History of the Barbarians podcast, season one, episode number 13, Mi Casa Es Su Casa. My name is Josh Hirschman. When we last spoke, our Goths were finally in the safe embrace of the Roman legions in Lower Moesia, present-day Bulgaria. Being on the secure side of the Danube River, away from the evil Hunnic hordes that were destroying the Goths' life, uh, would be a welcome situation for our friends. We will look at, in this episode, what events led this group of desperate Goths to rebel against the very Roman who have just let them into the safety of their empire. As a reminder, we are talking about Goths, both Tervingi and Gruthungi, Sarmatians, Alans, and probably some Vandals, and some other Germanic people. We will go ahead and just call the uh, agglomeration the Goths, because it is simpler, and the, the majority of the people probably really were the Tervingi Goths. The Roman emperor of the eastern portion of the empire, Valens, had been petitioned to allow this group of Goths settlement into the empire. The context of this decision is important because not all groups seeking asylum will be allowed into the empire. The Goths sent emissaries to Antioch, where Valens was currently stationed because he was planning on military action against the Sassanid Empire, essentially over control of Armenia. As Valens contemplates military action, he learns that tens of thousands of Goths are asking for permission to come into the empire and settle in return for pledges of arms to the emperor. As you remember, Valens has a long history with the Goths, in particular the Tervingi Goths. Back in 366, Procopius rebelled against Valens in Constantinople, while the latter was off dealing with assassins in the east. Procopius enjoyed the support of the Tervingi as the rightful heir to Constantine against Valens. After he defeats Procopius and the Goths, Valens decides to punish the Tervingi. His Gothic wars of 367 to 369 end with Valens securing the Danube border region with more defenses, destroying some key settlements, and a peace that will protect that border region from Gothic raids. And don't forget the historical role of the Goths as raiders of the empire and major role players in the crisis of the 3rd century. Memories of the Battle of Arbritus in 251 die hard for Roman emperors. All that being said, Valens sees an opportunity. He knows firsthand that the Goths field strong armies and know that if he can reach a settlement with them, he could fill his armies with soldiers that are desperately needed for his military plans in the east against the Sassanids. He even is said to have sent some support to Fritigern in a power struggle slash civil war north of the Danube between Fritigern and his more powerful rival Athanaric. So Valens was familiar with Fritigern and his people. He could allow this decent goth group into the empire, provide troops for the empire, repopulate some land that was vacant, therefore saving tax dollars on recruitment of soldiers and raising more on more on taxes on formerly vacant land. So Valens lets them in. And he puts the governor Maximus and the military commander of the region, Lupicinus, in charge of resettling the Goths. The number of Goths is hotly debated among historians and the sources themselves. I've read or heard many different numbers, including 200,000 warriors and a million people total, 100,000 warriors and 200,000 people total. 100,000 people seem to be a somewhat common number. Patrick Wyman, a history podcaster, writer, and PhD in history, puts the number somewhere between 50,000 and 70,000 people total, but with no more than... 10 to 20,000 warriors. I like his number the best 
since we see in the future that the Goths are going to be a population that is able to win militarily, but not necessarily come in and control every aspect of life. They did conquer France and Spain eventually, but they did not completely dominate social life, even though politically they were the ones in power. So one could interpret this fact that they were able to militarily defeat Rome and occupy territory. Eventually, they did not have a large enough footprint to replace every aspect of Roman society. The people they conquered were still much more numerous than the victorious Goths. So I like this number the most, as it seems the most reasonable. As we will see later on, there are many more Goths that have chosen to stay in the Pontic Steppe and many in the Carpathian Mountains with Athenaric. These Goths will come back into our story several times again. But for now, let's go back to modern-day Bulgaria, south of the Danube, where our Goths are now in the Roman territory. The Roman commander in the area, named Lupicinus, placed the Goths into camps on the Roman side of the Danube River. These camps were to serve as processing centers until the Goths could be placed into new land that needed settlers. Before we get into the next events of our narrative, we're going to take a few minutes to go over the two leaders of the Tervingi. Alaviv and Fritigern. Alaviv and Fritigern are Tervingi that have a huge impact on our narrative, but only some information about them can be gleaned from the sources. Both Alaviv and Fritigern must have been born to important families in the land of the Tervingi, north of the Danube. They both seem to have been important leaders, but neither had the suffix rick, which in the history of Argos seemed to have meant that that individual was a reek, or a chief of some portion of the Goths. Fritigern seems to have been the more important of the two, and will actually have a rivalry with Athanaric prior to entering the Roman Empire. It is said that Athanaric, whom we have mentioned in several episodes in the past, was the most powerful reek of the Tervingi. Fritigern was a leader of some note because the rivalry became a civil war of sorts during the 370s. This rivalry could have been a result of the Huns' attack on the Grothungi and the pressure put upon the Tervingi world. It could have arisen from the Huns and therefore only compounded the Turbingi problems in the 370s. What is clear, though, is that Athenarch stays in the Turbingi territory, at least in some fortified positions in the Carpathian power base, and Fritigern leaves the Gothic territory for the safety of the Roman Empire. The Romans then began to mistreat the Goths in these camps. Supplies began running out inside the camp, inducing hunger and starvation. The Romans then began to try to disarm and to manipulate the starving Goths in their camps. Now, one of the problems that develops is that the Romans had very few men in Moesia at the time to deal with this influx of barbarians. This leaves the Roman commander of the region, Lupicinus, in a difficult situation to try to deal with so many people with so few men. As part of the deal negotiated with Valens, the Goths would enter into Roman territory to be settled on farmland that was abandoned or vacant. In addition, they would make gold payments to the emperor, supply infantry and cavalry for the Roman military, but they would need to disarm in the meantime. This last item was important because, well, clearly, having a large group of barbarians together, armed in an area with less Roman troops, could possibly be a problem. And it will be, but not quite yet. So back to Lupicinus. 
Not much is known about this man's background, but we do have some information about what he does during this period. As the Goths are kept in their camps in the fall of 376 CE, they begin to run out of food. Having no freedom of movement while in the concentration camps, and that is what we'll call them, because that is what they are, really. They could not acquire food in these camps that they could not leave from, where they were concentrated into one area. So you have men, women, children, old, young people, completely under the control of another group of people who happen to be Roman legionaries. One group, having run out of food, begin to watch their children starve to death, and the other group see this as an opportunity. A black market develops with the Roman soldiers and their Gothic inmates paying exorbitant rates for food. When the Goths ran out of gold or items of value to trade, they are left with nothing but difficult choices. This is where we get our stories of Gothic parents trading their children, or sometimes themselves, into slavery for food. Even dogs for meat. Of course, this is a revolting idea, but in difficult times, drastic decisions are to be made. The Goths had been through so much in a year, only to face starvation in their new home. Left with few options, giving your child to a Roman legionary to be a slave obviously has its downsides, but at least they would have value as a slave and therefore some semblance of safety and security, and that slave would be fed. They then would also not starve to death in front of your eyes. These were the decisions that the Goths were forced to make in the fall and winter of 376 and 377. All of this took place under Lupicinus's watch. We do not know if he was directly involved with the exploitation of the Goths, but as a leader, your men do what you tell them or what you let them do. Inexplicably, Lupicinus manages to make decisions that would make the situation even worse. He decides to move the Trevingi to his regional headquarters of Marcianople, and he amazingly had his troops who were camped out opposite of the Guthungi on the Danube. He decides to move the Trevingi to his regional headquarters at Marcianople, and amazingly he had his troops who were camped out opposite of the Guthungi on the Danube escort them. And at this time we have the Guthungi led by Safax and Alatheus that are seeking asylum into the empire as well, but they've been denied, and some have speculated because they were still pagans as opposed to the Aryan Christian Trevingi group led by Fritigern and Alaviv. So, but remember that these troops have left that part of the border region where the Gruthungi were at, because it's going to be important later. So then Lupicinus invites the Gothic leadership to a banquet in Marcianople with the local Roman leadership to hear the complaints of the Goths and to honor them. Remember, yes, the Goths are locked up in these concentration camps. They were supposed to be disarmed, but many were not, and they are outnu- and they outnumber the local Roman forces. Lupicinus decides to try some classic Roman antics at this banquet. He decides to try to assassinate the Gothic leadership. I'm not sure why he thought this was a good idea, but perhaps it would have made sense at the time. But in retrospect, this was a decision that leads to events which would rock the empire and many ways the world permanently. So during Lupicinus's version of the Red Wedding, he kills many of the Gothic party in attendance, possibly Alaviv, because we never hear of him again after this event. And he's ready to kill Fritigern and his entourage. 
Well, this is going on inside Marseille, outside of the city. The Goths have heard about what is going on inside and begin to riot. So apparently several Roman soldiers and Gothic rioters are dying in this chaos. Fritigern is able to talk his way out of his captor's hold and to go and talk with his people to calm them down. Instead of doing what he agreed to in terms of trying to calm down his Trevingi brethren, he stirs them up into rebellious fever. The Goths had been hiding weapons in their camps, and after they bring those weapons out, they begin a breakout of the camp. The Goths' immediate concern is to protect themselves, and they attack the Romans guarding their camps. Lupicinus, inside the city, takes a small number of soldiers out to the Goths' encampment, about seven miles outside the city, and attacks them. Lupicinus and his outnumbered men are easily defeated, and they run back to Marcianople to safety. Naturally, the Goths move towards Marcianople, and they begin to lay siege to the city. The Goths, who are still starving and taking food from any source they can outside the city and on the outskirts of the city as they lay siege to it, they are not a professional army that is ready with appropriate siege equipment. So as the short siege continues, they decide to quit while they're ahead and just move on out of the region. So this takes us to the spring of 377 CE. Fritigern et al. then moves his people through the countryside, taking any supplies, most importantly at this point, food. The horde of Goths, men, women, and children, are living on the Roman countryside, eating and drinking to their heart's desire. We all have a warm heart for this part of the story, as our Goths are finally getting a break a little bit. But they know that this won't last long, as the Romans will be unhappy with the current situation and will send troops to confront them. Fritigern still does not see this as a rebellion. This could be explained away as a people abused by their immediate masters who seek some retribution or at least a way to survive their current circumstances. Valens could understand. He could make sure that the Goths are taken care of and that both sides still honor their agreement. Fritigern, though, thinks that this line of reasoning could be dubious and convinces the Goths to be proactive and go on the offensive. At least this way, they'll have more to bargain with when they do essentially go to the table with Valens. This serves as a couple purposes for the Goths, though. They could not necessarily get food and supplies by being stationary and waiting for their emissaries to ne- renegotiate with Lupicinus or Valens. Additionally, they were probably just fed up with it. They had been through so much escaping their homelands from the Huns and all the pressures that they had been under. Now this suffering at the hands of the Romans, they decided enough is enough. We're going to be the authors of our own story. We're going to fight for our survival. So they decided to get after it in the countryside. And there is a long history of the barbarians raiding Roman lands, in particular the Goths, and then they seek a peaceful settlement after destroying some towns and stealing some loot. Some other Goths, Alemanni, Celtic, Carpi, Sarmatians, and many other barbarians have leveraged Rome's problems before into raiding near them and extracting favorable treaties for settlement within the Roman territory itself. The Goths could very well have this strategy in mind as Fritigern leads his people back towards Marcianople to fight Lupicinus. 
Meanwhile, in Antioch, Valens hears of the events in Thrace and Lower Moesia and makes arrangements to deal with the Goths. His efforts are hampered by several factors. First, the Sassanids in the east are threatening to invade the lands of Syria, are in constant contact with Armenia and interfering with Armenian affairs. The Rhine region is being threatened by an Alemanni group, that the fact that there is not enough of a whole force in Thrace to, c- to contend with the Goths is another problem. Valens, therefore, coordinates with his nephew Gratian, who is the emperor in the western half of the empire, to send an army to help deal with the Goths. Gratian must first deal with Alemanni before he can come to the aid of his uncle, but he does send a Frankish general named Ricamirus or Ricamer. Meanwhile, while Ricamer is on his way to Thrace to try to help deal with the Goths, Valens will finalize a quick peace agreement with the Sassanids and start his way to Thrace to take care of the Goths. So we have Ricamer, who is a barbarian figure himself working for the Romans, that is being sent by Gratian to Thrace to help deal with the Goths while Valens is finalizing his peace agreement with the Sassanids and Valens heading to Thrace to help deal with the Goths. And this is probably a good place to stop for the week as we march even closer to the Battle of Adrianople and a huge turning point in our story. So, uh, a note this week, a couple of the materials that we have looked at is uh, this week we have talked about items from The Story of the Goths by Henry Bradley. Uh, Peter Heather has contributed multiple ways uh, with his writings on the Goths this week. Michael Kulikowski's book, Rome's Gothic Wars from the 3rd Century to Alaric, has uh, been a huge resource this week. And additionally, Armianus has been another resource for us this week that is always the gift that keeps on giving. And I think that's it. So for us, thank you for listening, and I will see you next time.